at, at any, we're, we're talking about a lot of risks and a lot of what could go wrong, and it probably feels scary for a lot of people that you know haven't been investing for a long time. But trust me, there's always something. You know, at any point in time, there is a long list of things that could go wrong and things to worry about. And if you get wrapped up on that, um, you'll never do anything. Hello everyone, welcome to April and we are here again with NZX Opening Bell and our theme for this month is Education Sessions, Top Tips to Becoming an Informed Investor. And to kick us off for the month we have one of the perfect guests to speak with, the one that I always listen to anything that they're saying, you know, a State of the Nation address or anything that he writes in the papers. So I'm very pleased to introduce Mark Lister from Craig's Investment Partners. Welcome Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming today, Mark. So we are going to talk today about what's up in the markets, which is a big topic, especially right now. It's a very complex macro environment out there. Perhaps to get us started, if we just talk about sort of we've just ticked through Q1, maybe you could give us a general economic update and, you know, sort of talk about how the market has performed since the beginning of 2023. Yeah, well, I'll try and give you the really, really brief version because there's a lot going on. But I guess if, you, if you'd asked me at the start of this year, how would 2023 play out? I would have said, look, um, there's going to be a couple of positives ahead of us. One will be that inflation, while remaining high, will start to come down and it would become increasingly clear that the peak of inflation was behind us. And obviously that's a good thing if we start to see it coming down the other side of the hill. And, and secondly, it would become increasingly clear that central banks were were at the end of their monetary policy tightening cycle, that we'd be nearing the point where they say, look, we've done enough, we'll pause there and we'll see how things go. So my expectation was that that would probably, probably mean markets be in reasonably good spirits early in the year, but I guess the, the caveat to that is that the economic slowdown that we, we know is ahead – because of those higher interest rates, because of the cost of living, because of the the lagged effect or delayed effect of those sorts of things, that was still ahead of us. So we sort of knew that was looming. And to a large degree, that's the way this year has played out. You know, we've seen inflation, uh, not so much in New Zealand, because we don't get the data nearly as, as regularly, but in places like the US, Europe, Australia, all the signs are telling us that the worst is behind us and that inflation is slowing, not as quickly as we would like. Same goes for the interest rates. We've seen interest rates continue to rise this year. I think they need to go up a little bit more in terms of OCRs and so forth. But we're almost at the point where they're as high as they get this cycle. So th those things are good. And as a result, you have seen financial markets perform reasonably well. A couple of spanners in the works. We've obviously had the, the weather events here in New Zealand, We've had the banking crisis, which is sort of good and bad in a financial market sense. But first quarter actually turned out pretty well. New Zealand shares were up, I'll get my numbers slightly wrong off the top of my head, they're about 3.5%. New Zealand bonds up about 2.5%. So that's really positive. That's actually the third quarter in a row that New Zealand shares have been up. US shares or global shares, I should say, which are dominated by the US, probably twice as strong as New Zealand shares in that first quarter. And that comes on the back of a very strong last three months, final three months of 2022. And US Treasury bonds also performing well. So we've gone from looking back at 2022, where everything was down in unison, fixed income down, shares down everywhere, to 2023 so far, everything has been up. So it's been a better start to the year. And we've seen some of those positives in terms of the inflationary backdrop, the interest rate backdrop, but there's still risks ahead. Mm, interesting. And 
2022 was undeniably a, a tough year across all asset classes for, for everyone that was trying to allocate in the market. We're starting to put some good things together, you're saying, which is great. How are investors responding to markets at the moment, given given that backdrop? Yeah, I think, I think investors are still very cautious mm. and they don't want to count their chickens, even though we've, we've strung together a, a reasonably positive period. Last year was... was just something we haven't seen in a long, long time. Everything was down. So mm-hmm. New Zealand shares down 12%, the worst year since 2008. US shares down 18%, the worst year since 2008. New Zealand house prices had their their worst 12-month performance. They fell more than the share market did, and, it's, and the housing market's still falling. That was the worst 12-month period for New Zealand houses ever. And fixed income did badly as well. And that, that's really unusual for fixed income, you know, the safe assets and shares, the high risk, high return asset class to both be down at the same time. You know, to, to find a time, you know, the last time that happened before last year was 1994. And I'm, I'm pretty sure those are the two only times that we've ever seen that. So it's just a, a really unusual year coming on the back of everything we've seen since the pandemic first hit. So people people are still very nervous. And even though you've seen New Zealand shares, which which troughed, um, call it June last year, down about 22% from the highs, they've rebounded, I don't know, 12%-ish. So we've probably earned back half of those gains, but we're still probably 12 or 13% below the, the peaks. And it's a similar story internationally. People aren't getting ahead of themselves because we all know that while inflation's coming down, it's still higher than we would like. And while interest rates are nearly at the top, we know that they might plateau and stay there for quite a while, and that's still going to cause a lot of pain ahead. So a recession either here or in the US is still quite possible. You know, No one knows how things will play out, but we're definitely in for a slowdown, maybe a recession. Still lots of caution around whether companies can grow earnings or maintain earnings to the degree that the market is expecting. So there's just a whole lot of reasons to be nervous. And when people see all those risks, even if they're seeing a bit of positivity out there in the market, it's just easy to, easier to sort of sit on the sidelines and wait and see, especially when you're getting you know, 5% in the bank for doing absolutely nothing and taking on no risk at all. So there's still a very much an air of uncertainty and people don't feel... Uh, don't feel comfortable enough to um, take on any take on major risk. I would say mm, absolutely. So you're seeing those cash balances, term deposit balances, build up and and sort of allocations towards the much lower end of the risk spectrum. Yeah, we are, and and I think fixed income is looking increasingly attractive for people as well. So we're seeing a lot of people take another look at fixed income, which has obviously been, you know, the last few years have been pretty tough for conservative investors and for savers because interest rates have been so, so low, which is, you know, great for those of us that have got mortgages and and borrowers and homeowners. That's fantastic, low interest rates, the lowest that we've seen ever in history. Mm. But that's been a really difficult period for conservative savers who have been getting pitiful amounts on their savings and um, fixed income offerings, bond offerings haven't been providing the yields that people would like to. So that's completely turned around. So now we talk about the high interest rates, you know, the OCR, 5%-ish, the highest since 2008, terrible for people that have got really big mortgages and taken on a lot of debt. And that's obviously a handbrake for asset class, asset prices across the board, shares, housing, everything. But it's fantastic for people that have got savings or are looking for those steady, reliable returns. So we're um, we're actually seeing 
I'm observing a lot of people invest in fixed income and just lock in some of those those yields and those attractive returns going forward. And why wouldn't you? Because the rates look better than anything we've seen for more than a decade. Mm, absolutely, and make make the most of that higher yield curve. We we did have quite a big wobble in March as we watched, you know, the collapse of SVB over in the US, Credit Suisse obviously merging. Quite a lot of worry around contagion in mm. the financial sector generally, more offshore than in New Zealand. But could you just talk a little bit about how did this happen and what do you think that will come out of this as we move into April and into the rest of the year? Yep, yep. And understandable that markets reacted the way that they did. And we saw huge volatility, particularly in bond markets. Volatility in bond markets that, like, that we haven't seen since, you know, 9-11. You know, back in the uh, more than two decades ago, the the terrorist attacks. So it was a, a really scary period, and I think that that happens when you talk about bank collapse. As soon as you start talking about you know bank crisis, bank collapses, then people start thinking, "Geez, it's another GFC." I, I don't think it's the same. I think the the situations you've seen with some of these entities, whether it's Signature Bank or SVB, none of us had even heard of SVB, mm. had we, before this all happened. So it is it is a minnow in the in the in the US scheme of things. Um, Credit Suisse, obviously now uh, taken over by UBS and, and Deutsche Bank, sort of in the news too. So all, all of these stories have their own unique nuances like uh, Silicon Valley Bank obviously had grown super fast, was hugely concentrated in that sort of tech startup sector in terms of their deposits, hadn't been managed particularly well, had taken on far too much interest rate risk um, and basically come unstuck as interest rates had gone up as much as they have. Signature, the other one, that had waded into crypto. Credit Suisse, look, that that business hasn't really ever recovered properly from the GFC. It's always, it just hasn't got it quite right ever since then. Hasn't been managed as well as it could have been. The decision making at a strategic level hasn't been spot on. So I think those stories are all quite unique in themselves and it's not a systemic issue right across the banking system. So I don't see I don't see any of that as a, as the precursor to another GFC. I think there is there's maybe a silver lining from from the way that's played out, ironically, for financial markets and share markets, and that's that the scare that we've all had across parts of the banking system has increased bank funding costs. That will increase lending standards. You'll see the banks sort of just get a bit more frugal and a bit more fussy. That will reduce credit growth. That will flow on to sort of reduced or slower economic activity. All of those things were happening anyway, but it sort of sped up that process. And long story short, that has tightened financial conditions, which means it's doing the job a bit of the job of, of that central banks were doing themselves. So this banking crisis is probably worth one or two interest rate hikes, which means those are one or two interest rate hikes that the central banks might not want to do. So ironically, there's been a positive side because of, of, of what's happened here in New Zealand. I don't think we need to be concerned at all. I think uh, the big four banks that are obviously Australian owned and Kiwi Bank, much stronger, well regulated, well capitalised, much stronger liquidity positions. So you know, I, I I would I would definitely dissuade any listeners from sort of losing sleep over what they've seen in the news about what it could mean for for us here in New Zealand. I, I do think it is an isolated situation, and I think it's it's more a symptom of the really sharp rise in interest rates. Whenever interest rates go up as sharply as they have, and remember they've gone up 
you know, in a, in a shorter space of time than we've ever seen in history. We've never seen them go up this quickly. But whenever they go up globally, someone gets into trouble. You know, it could be an emerging market economy. It could be a, a hedge fund that's taken on too much risk. It, whoever, someone always finds themselves coming unstuck. And it's turned out to be a couple of higher risk regional banks in the US this time around. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in your point around, you know, this may save the RBNZ from doing a couple of rate hikes. We're sitting here recording this on the morning of the 3rd of April. Do have an upcoming RBNZ announcement. With respect to our own central bank here in New Zealand, is there anything that you think, you know, the Reserve Bank should be keeping an eye on and, and how do you think that that will translate through to investors? Yeah, well, they'll be keeping an eye on on everything, uh, what's happening offshore, what's happening here in New Zealand. And geez, there's so many factors at play from these banking sector issues that we're seeing from the economic slowdown that I think that we're seeing here on the ground in New Zealand. Inflation's still higher than we would like here. Got the impact of the cyclone, which, which is another another challenge for us. By the time people hear this, my suspicion is that the OCR will hike on Wednesday afternoon. Um, 18 months ago, we were at 0.25. So we're now back at the highest levels, you know, not not as high as we were pre-GFC. We got to more 8.25 back then, but certainly the highest since, you know, that that 2007-2008 era. And I think we're almost there in terms of what they do. You know, their their forecast six weeks ago pointed to a 5.5% OCR. A few of the bank economists were even higher than that, 5.75. Look, today markets are thinking, well, maybe the peak is 5.25. My sense that I get from, and I I have the luxury of travelling the country, you know, all year round, talking to businesses and investors and, you know, everyone under the sun, and I feel like the... The, the slowdown is here. We are seeing uh, a bit more of an economic slowdown just in recent weeks in the last couple of months. So I, I feel like all of those interest rate hikes we've seen from the Reserve Bank are starting to come home to roost. And 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 that process will, will probably accelerate over the next six months because we still haven't seen all of those people with fixed mortgages mm. reprice them at sure. the higher level. So there's still a bit of that to play out. And that will slow the economy. Um, that will probably push the unemployment rate up a little bit. I think it will keep sort of downward pressure on the housing market. And, but hopefully it will take the edge off inflation and wage growth, which will hopefully mean that, you know, the, the Reserve Bank has done enough and they will get the, those outcomes that they're looking for. The, the big question is just, you know, have, have they overdone it? Have they pushed things too far? You know, does that economic slowdown that they're looking for or that mild recession they're looking for turn into something more significant? So they will be watching all of those indicators. They'll be watching intensely what they're seeing overseas. They'll be watching things like commodity prices. And, you know, we sit here today in Fonterra just this morning has cut the dairy payout again. So, you know, there's there's plenty of challenges out there. Mm, Things are starting to trickle through into the economy. We have been in a period of, of higher inflation for quite some time now. Without giving specific investment advice, what, what would your sort of thoughts be around how to position yourself for investment during periods of higher inflation generally? 
Yep, yep. So inflation uh, in New Zealand sitting at 7.2%, peaked at 7.3% last year. That same story everywhere. You know, the mm. US got to 9 the UK and Europe were in double digits. So same story everywhere. It's partly because of the money printing and the, the low interest rates, and it's partly because of all the supply chain issues around the world that are beyond mm. most of our control, certainly policymakers' control. So you've had that very high inflation, the highest since 1990. Remember that You've also had the highest wage growth since the 1980s. Everyone gets really focused on inflation and the cost of living, and that's a disaster, and it is. It it's makes for a real challenge. But that, that's only one side of the story. People have also had the best pay rises that they've had in decades as well. So one's kind of offset the other, and that that means the wheels aren't going to necessarily fall off You know, as, as much as you might think if you're looking at the inflation alone. As far as you know, thinking about your investment strategy, well, there are periods of time that we can look back to where we've had high inflation or persistently high inflation. The 1970s was was an obvious time, and uh, let's hope that we're sort of not going back to a period like that where inflation is so persistent for so long. But inflation is is the enemy of the long-term investor, right? You know, if, even if inflation's only 3%, and central banks would love it to only be at 3%, even at only 3%, over 10 years, it erodes the the purchasing power of a dollar by about twenty five percent. So at seven percent, it's it's really eroding your purchasing power. So that money's just getting worth less every year, which means money in the bank is 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 not really doing its job. It's not really protecting you in a long term sense. You know, typically shares and bonds don't do particularly well on average uh, through periods of high inflation. Things that often do well are commodities, Mm. um, you know, oil and other commodities. And that's sort of, it's a bit chicken and egg. Often their strength is part of the reason you're seeing high inflation. So investors like to have an exposure to commodities when Mm. they're worried about inflation. Things like infrastructure, infrastructure, good quality real estate, a lot of those assets, the earnings and the cash flow streams that they deliver are sort of linked to inflation. Mm. So, you know, you get a bit of a hedge there. Farmland traditionally does very well. And when it comes to companies that you're investing in, you know, it's companies that are involved in all of those sorts of sectors, but but also companies that have got strong pricing power. So that's something I'd be thinking about. You know, if you've got shares in your portfolio or if you're ma- managing a fund of some sort, you'd be sitting there going, well, I've got company A, B and C. You know, are they... Have they got the pricing power to keep putting their prices up to to maintain margins as their costs are rising? Or are they going to have to give away that margin and therefore, you know, absorb those cost increases? Because that'll mean reduced profits, reduced earnings, reduced dividends. So there, there, there are things you can do to make your investment portfolio more resilient in a period of high inflation. But, you know, overall, it's a, it makes for a really difficult backdrop. It is harder. Uh, for investors uh, through those periods. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point about let's hope that we're not going back to a period like the 70s with sustained inflation and, you know, they put in a lot of central banking policies in the 70s that that sort of, you know, had those target bans and things that we're now living with long term. So hopefully those will start to kick in and all the work that all the central banks have been doing around the world to sort of unwind that quantitative easing will, will start to flow through and will be... We'll be heading into a period of, of less inflation, we hope. Um, and, and I think we will. You know, mm. I, I don't um, I don't think we're heading for another 1970s. I mm. think, you know, you've got to remember that at least half of the inflation that you've seen over the last couple of years 
is related to these one-off pandemic effects, closed factories, goods shortages, shipping lines that are you know clogged, and those things are slowly but surely resolving themselves. Mm. So that that's changing. It just takes a, a bit of time, and we are seeing inflation come down. You know, inflation in the US is six percent now. That's still way too high, but it was nine point one. You know, in the middle of last year, so it's definitely moving in the right direction, and higher interest rates will will, will absolutely help. the The big question, though, is what will be the unintended or the partly intended consequences of that? You know, in terms of the quantum of the slowdown, that's kind of the missing link. You know, it's the mm. price we pay for getting that inflation under control. Mm, mm. And as you say, it has been a, a complicated environment for the last few years. We've had, you know, the, obviously the pandemic interest rates, inflation, geopolitics with the Russia-Ukraine war, supply chain disruption, weather events, you know, the list just goes on and on and on with the cyclones and the floods and everything else that's been happening. We do also have another big potential change coming up towards the end of the year. We're heading into an election cycle. Do you think that there will be any notable changes to the economic landscape in New Zealand if there is a change in government? Uh, look, y- yes and no, and I'll, I'll I'll say right off the bat that I'm a bit of a political cynic, and you know I won't say too much. I'm conscious you're recording this, so it's on record forever. So I don't want to wade into the political debate. But uh, look, I think most businesses uh, that I talk to just get on with doing business rather than worrying too much about the policy landscape. And I think this year's election will be close. You know, I definitely think it'll be closer than many people think. You know, there's been a lot out there who over the last couple of months have said, look. You you know, this is nationals to lose. You know, it's almost almost guaranteed that we see a change of government. I think I still think it'll be a pretty tight one. Is it relevant for the economy and for financial markets? Yes, it always is. But our two major parties are nowhere near as far apart as the major parties are in some parts of the world, such as the US. You know, National and Labour. You know, there's there's elements of the policy settings that are quite different, but. There's a whole lot that are also very, very similar. They're both very centrist parties and both of them in recent times have shown that they don't really like rocking the boat. John Key, Jacinda Ardern, both very savvy politicians who read the room very well and then adjust their approach as necessary. So they're both very centrist and I don't think you're going to see dramatic change. But we'll have to wait and see how some of those policies look. You know, they haven't all told us Mm. uh, what the policy settings will look like. So it's a bit of a moving feast. It's something we've got to keep an eye on. The housing market, I think, is probably one area where there is quite a bit of difference. You know, if if National will indeed unwind or water down some of those interest deductibility rules, which were a game changer. That was an absolute game changer for the property sector. Uh, and if they make life a little bit more friendly for landlords, you know, maybe that's a, a more buoyant or, or positive outlook for the housing market. Other than that, it's sort of sector by sector. So we'll just have to wait and see and monitor that as the year progresses. But on balance, I think, you know, you don't want to completely change your investment strategy on the basis of the political landscape, at least here in New Zealand, where it's 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 not, you know, terribly far apart in terms of the potential outcomes. So, yeah, it's it's a watching brief, but, you know, when I look back through, you know, the last 30, 40 years of politics, you know, New Zealand shares have, have been able to perform well against under, under most regimes. And even though it's commonly thought that 
a national government would be friendlier to the economic backdrop or the business backdrop. There have been plenty of times where you know the share market and the housing market have performed very, very well during Labor governments. So it's not something I'm losing a whole lot of sleep over. Mm, interesting. Well, thanks, Mark. It's always fascinating to get your insights. And, you know, it would be good to sort of end with an eye to the future as we sit here and discuss things. And I'm aware that there are many people that are listening to this podcast that still have a long time to run in markets and will be taking a a long-term view, even though there's a lot of very complex and nuanced factors affecting financial markets at the moment. So what would you sort of say to people that are listening and thinking about their investment portfolio or their KiwiSaver that might be, you know, 25, 35, 45 and might have, you know, 40, 30, 20 years still to run before they even need to access their investments? Yeah, that's a really important point because – at, at any, we're talking about a lot of risks and a lot of what could go wrongs, and it probably feels scary for a lot of people that you know haven't been investing for a long time. But trust me, there's always something. You know, at any point in time, there is a long list of things that could go wrong and things to worry about. And if you get wrapped up on that, um, you'll never do anything, and all your you know life will pass you by, and um, you know you, you'll you'll just do yourself a, a disservice. So, what what you've got to understand if you're an investor in the share market, same with the property market, same with business, same with you know if you're a farmer, is you're in an asset class that is a long term asset class. You know if you if your time horizon is any anything less than five years, you shouldn't be in shares anyway. So the fact that you're listening to this, I'm going to assume that your time horizon is five years or beyond, and if that's the case then you've just got to stay the course and look to the future and not get wrapped up in the what could go wrong this week, next month, later this year sort of stuff because New Zealand shares, like US shares, you know, give you fantastic returns over the long term. I think over the last 50 years, the average, you know, the, the per annum returns have been about 9 or 10%, which is wonderful. Um, and over that period, we've seen countless, you know, corrections and you know you get a, a recession every six or seven or eight years and you get a bear market some bigger than others but you know the 20 percent plus declines you get those every six or seven years that's just par for the course you're going to get these ups and downs but if you're investing with a 10-year view certainly something beyond that you know you've just got to just got to invest like a like a long-term investor and a long-term business owner and not worry about those things because you will do well if you you know stay disciplined and you keep investing, keep contributing to your KiwiSaver, and and ironically, and you know again, I have the luxury of talking to a lot of people that have been investing for for decades. You know, we've got clients that are a hundred years old that have been doing this for 70, 80 years, and they love recessions. You know, some of these old timers love the rough periods when everyone's panicking and everyone thinks the world's going to end because that's when they do their best buying. Mm. So you know, you've just got to. Remember that um, while while periods like this are uncertain, you know, talk of a banking crisis, talking of a recession, all that talk feels really scary. But uh, that's when you it's periods like that when you will look back in the future and you will have picked up some bargains. You know, mm. th- in anyone who was in KiwiSaver who or who was investing through that COVID period felt really scary. We didn't know how that would play out. We looked back and we're like, "Geez, I'm glad that I carried on investing through early 2020, didn't I?" Um, further back, the GFC felt really scary, felt like financial Armageddon. But um, people that did keep continuing to their, into their KiwiSaver, and it had just started back in 07, um, KiwiSaver or some other investment scheme or just you know not panicking, you, you actually see great opportunities through those periods. So I think we've just got to remember that you know that's that's what we're here for. We're not here sort of 
with a six month, 12 month view. We're here as long term investors and we've got to you know, act accordingly. Absolutely. That's a very good discussion to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Mark. And we'll have to get you back later in the year for an end of year wrap up. No worries. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.